So there's a misconception that if you're single, you are incomplete, perhaps damaged, salvaged, and you won't be happy until you find your one. And that is not true. That is bullshit. It is a message that has been fed to us by media and advertising. The truth is, when you're single, you have the richest soil for growth. That's why I created this podcast. And unlike other podcasts, this one is host-driven, not guest-driven. That means I will be rotating health and wellness experts three times a week to give you the giant box of wellness crayons, not just the primary colors, so you can start building a meaningful life. It's time to give singlehood a cape. So today's host, Lindsay Burke, she and I go way back, back when I was working in addiction, residential, Malibu, driving my little motorcycle on PCH to help people with addiction, and she was on my team. I'm so happy that she is a part of this rotating host and experts for this podcast. Lindsay Burke is the founder of Lift Therapy, and she's a licensed therapist, behavior interventionist, coach, martial artist, yes, martial artist, a wife, a parent, and expert consultant on attachment, narcissism, and toxic relationships, as well as early childhood development. Yes, she does everything. And she believes that human connection is the best medicine and is committed to helping people heal by helping them develop healthy attachments with others. Her mission is to enhance the field of mental health by making support and resources more accessible to you in the form of psychoeducation, supportive programming, and individual therapy. Lindsay has served as a host for the Disney Plus show Reconnect and as an advisor and expert writer for various newspapers, podcasts, and radio shows such as the Chicago Tribune, Relation Up, P-Therapy, Life and Style Magazine, Pop Sugar, and on and on and on. She is very talented. She's a powerful catalyst, and I hope you enjoy. Well, I know you're going to enjoy and get so much out of her episode today. Hi, I am Lindsay, and I am back. I am so excited to connect with you all today to talk about this extremely popular topic at the moment. We are going to talk about narcissism and, more importantly, what to do when you find yourself in a more sneaky, covertly toxic relationship dynamic. And and I'm very careful about my words, and I'll explain that in a minute. Um, But what do we do when we're in these tricky relationships that are actually very complicated and nuanced? Uh, This could be with a family member, with a partner, with a friend, or even a boss, uh, which comes up a lot more than I had expected before becoming a therapist. And all of these situations put us in a vulnerable position because the conflict is not always easy to put your finger on. Uh, It's hidden. It's sneaky. It's very hard for even us to see and much less easy for others outside of the problem to see. So it can be very lonely. It's very hard to get support because it's not always obvious what the problem is. And it can become extremely overwhelming trying to manage some of these things on our own. Um, I, I've heard so many clients and myself, I've experienced this sense of a soul death when you're in this kind of toxic dynamic with someone because of the lack of support, the lack of ability to overtly express what's going on for you and for it to be easily seen by others. So we're going to get into that a little bit. But before I get into the details, you can hear my 
chair squeak. I also want to take a second to state that I am going to move away a bit from the diagnosis of narcissistic personality disorder a bit because the diagnosis really doesn't matter and it can, it can confuse things. Um, we've gotten really caught up in diagnoses. I hear people use bipolar all the time incorrectly. And, um, and then, of course, everybody's narcissistic if they're the slightest bit selfish, and that's not how it works at all. And so the diagnoses were not intended for common use. They were intended for trained professionals to use uh, in order to communicate with one another, but uh, they actually don't cover the big picture. And so I think it's really important um, for us to understand, just like a doctor saying that their patient has a broken bone, no two broken bones look alike. You know, you could say you have a broken bone. It can mean in a million different places in a million different ways and broken in a certain way into lots of pieces into one, you know, into two pieces. I mean, it can, it's just a very complicated concept. Well, the same goes with personalities and personality disorders. So I just want to focus on, um, really more of these dysfunctional control-based traits that we often like to label as toxic, um, that we see in, for example, one of the people who I've really studied under, um, Dr. George Simon and many other specialists refer to as these character disturbed personalities and these covert aggressions, the behaviors that they exert, um, whether someone who has a personality disorder or, or not uses them, um, show up in these dynamics and they're extremely unhealthy. They're extremely hurtful. Um, they're manipulative. They can be very damaging to your identity, um, to your mental health, and ultimately the intimate relationship that you have with this person. And um, going back to this term toxic as well, I also want to note that I really have trouble labeling a whole person as toxic. Again, you'll see it on all these different websites. Get away from this toxic person. Um, it, this removes everyone's humanity. I want to preserve everyone's humanity and acknowledge these are people that were babies once and loved um, or should have been loved. Um, but I prefer to keep the labels on the behaviors. The behaviors are actually the problem. They're dysfunctional now, even though maybe... In the past, they were functional. And for them, for that person, sometimes they even work now. And that's, you know, why they still continue to resort to these behaviors. They've somehow lended towards, uh, lended to their survival. So um, we need to acknowledge that these behaviors are the problem. The behaviors are the thing that we're labeling as toxic. And they've become toxic for your mental health. And that's why you're here. You're needing to protect yourself from these um, influences, the influences of these behaviors. And that's what we're going to address today. Where do you uh, show up in this, in this story? And, and how do you show up in this story? So I want to clarify that language a bit. It's so hard to talk about these psych topics because one, they're extremely nuanced. And because someone will take the teensiest clip of something I say out of context and will run with it in a direction that it was never meant to go. So I'm trying my best to be careful about the language that I use so that I can actually be more helpful as opposed to hurtful. So uh, just had to say that. Ultimately, these are difficult people to be around, to work with, to live with, and 
in my experience to love uh, that I, I've I've loved some of these people in my life, even when it may not seem so uh, obvious at first that there was a problem. Um, and so, how do we navigate? Um, in under these conditions. So I'm going to dive into this topic more deeply and clarify a lot of misunderstandings around this disorder, um, around these character disturbances, um, more specifically, I'm going to again, move away from the disorder and actually give real life examples of some difficult behaviors and situations I've personally experienced. Um, and I've heard from clients and friends and, and, and those who I care about who have had trouble with these types of personalities and provide you with some tools for dealing with the challenges, these tricky characteristics and, um, Again, I'm taking these disturbed characters, even though it isn't always obvious at first, um, and discussing how we can maintain their humanity while taking care of ourselves in it. And if you know me, uh, you know I like to go deep, not wide. There's a lot to cover here, and I want to pay it proper attention. I'm not doing anybody any service by uh, just just flying through this material. So uh, I'm not going to cover it all in one episode. I'm going to break it down into a couple of episodes, which by the way, will have a few interruptions. I'm so excited. I'm going to be interviewing a few amazing specialists about some of the work they do. So we'll have a few interruptions between my covering this content. So just stay tuned uh, and I will get back, but we're going to break it down into a few pieces um, and turn it into a bit of a series. What we're going to start with is, first of all, what it's like to be you in this dynamic. How did you get sucked in? I get that question all the time. Why is this happening to me? What does it feel like to be you in this dynamic? It can be really confusing. Um, I get this question all the time. Am I the unhealthy one in this relationship? Am I the one who's being uh, unrealistic. Sometimes I'm the one who's maybe not grateful for what I have and for what all they do for me. Um, am I the person who's acting out because I've done things that are kind of embarrassing and I've been the one who technically lost my temper or, or said certain things um, in this dynamic? And uh, again, we'll go back through that, but often we find ourselves becoming the person that we were never intended to be, that we we have to change in order to sustain this relationship and we become someone that we don't even like, which I would absolutely relate to. And um, I even get questions, am I, am I the narcissist? Am I the toxic one? And so we're going to address some of the nuances of being in this dynamic that are different from other difficult relationships in which you may have a lot of conflict there may still be a lot of tension, a lot of conflict, a lot of enmeshment, but there aren't these covert traits that make it especially tricky. And so we're going to start by answering a lot of those questions. Then in future episodes, we'll talk a little bit more specifically about the overt and covert aggressions to watch out for. We're going to get into detail in the next episode around that. Uh, so today is a little more of the why and the what, and then the next time will be a lot more of the details around when, if, if this happens, it means that <laughs> it's going to be really getting into the idiosyncrasies of some of these ways that someone can manipulate and control and um, twist things to confuse us and how they 
these abusive behaviors, and I'm going to say they are psychologically abusive behaviors, sneak into seemingly good relationships. And so I'm going to name that episode, Name It to Tame It, um, and we'll get into more of that later. And then it may be one or two more episodes after that, but we'll talk about the trauma bond, why it's hard to let go, the family relationship dynamics, and how other people, I call them flying monkeys, and you'll hear that in the field, how they get involved and how to exit this relationship dynamic or set boundaries, both internally and externally. Externally, we think of boundaries, we just throw up a wall, but internally, um, how do we protect ourselves from the influence of being around this very, very powerful kind of personality for long periods of time? It can corrode a part of us. And so we're going to get into that as well. Uh, Let me dive in again. Um, This is kind of my a preparation session, um, I want to clarify what my goals of today's session are not. My goals are not to help you diagnose a handful of people you know around you. <laughs> We're not going to do that. There's no point in that. Um, my goal is not to label anyone as a monster and remove all humanity, as I mentioned before, from your perception of them. People and relationships are complicated. And one major challenge with this kind of dynamic is um, often for those who've really been in it, um, it isn't all bad. And um, I say, you know, with air quotes, all bad, uh, which makes setting boundaries really hard and complicated. And uh, so I just want to really acknowledge that nuance. Um, But narcissistic personalities, toxic personalities, again, I use air quotes again, um, have been really demonized in the media lately. And to be honest, I feel like that's giving these people way too much credit and power for starters. Um, But the reality is people exhibiting many of these traits are also very hurt and emotionally underdeveloped people. And they've um, haven't been loved and supported in the way they needed to be. And now that's how they know how to navigate the world. So I want to acknowledge that humanity here and and maintain a space for that while we have these discussions around how you take care of yourself in it. And uh, I am not here to teach you this language also to prove to someone why they're wrong or bad. (laughs) This is not here so you can go back to someone and talk to them about how they need to change. That's missing the whole point. This is to help you change. We are here not to weaponize you with more knowledge so that you can try to get someone else to change. We're here to help you navigate who you are in these types of very challenging dynamics and how you can protect yourself and and maintain a, the version of yourself that you want to be um, without causing more damage. Um, and one of my goals is not to say it will be easy Uh, This happens all the time. We think that the more we understand, the more we know, you know, it's like diet culture. (laughs) We we, we all know we we need to be eating more salads and greens, but um, it's easier said than done. So just because you know more doesn't mean it's going to be easier. Knowing and understanding the problem and feeling good about it are two very different experiences. And I will say there is some peace that comes with releasing some of the hopes and expectations that someone else will change or make us happier. But there is also a lot of grief that comes with realizing we need to create more distance and possibly end a relationship uh, with someone we care deeply about. 
So to be forewarned, you may know better, (laughs) but it does not mean you may feel better right away. And that's okay. That's okay. The grieving process can take a very long time and we get re-triggered later on setting boundaries, even though you know everything and you see everything, setting the the actual boundaries is really challenging. Just want to be clear that the goals of my podcast today are to help you understand what you're dealing with here. It is complicated. You're going to hear me say that a lot. When we are working with someone who uses more covert forms of hurtful and controlling communication, what we call covert aggressions, it can be sneaky and confusing because it appears often that they have good intentions um, or even comes off as a kind comment or a gesture. So it's it's really tricky. Um And uh, at the very least, they can come off as the innocent one that is just a, it's a little innocent mistake. So I'll get into more, but I want to equip you with the ability to discern between what is truly loving, what is an accident, people just being human, and what is purposefully hurtful, controlling behavior in order to manipulate and control you, in order to meet some kind of agenda that they have. We've got to be clear about that. I'm also here to offer some real solutions based on reality and not just wishful thinking and theorizing about the problem. You can read Agnosium about narcissism and, you know, air quotes, toxic people, but it's often hard to find true strategies for managing both how you feel when it's happening, as well as how to respond to these people in the moment. So we're going to get into that. I'm not here to help you read minds or prevent these difficult people personalities and from entering our life. I, I hear this all the time. Am I attracting these people? No, not as you're, you're attracting a lot of people. You're attracting a lot of personalities. Um, but I'm here to help you build tools to stop them from hanging around. You can't help it if they show up in your life, but it is up to you to manage your own interactions with people who are challenging and to know that you have the power to let them go and to set boundaries when you need to. So I'm going to help you um, discern when and how to do that. And lastly, I hope this is what you get out of this more than anything, more than anything, is to become kinder to yourself and feel more sane while and after being in a relationship with a difficult personality like this. Um, I remember ending a relationship and just feeling like it took a year, a good solid year, just to shake off the impact that they had on me. I heard a therapist once say they felt, um, you know, when they were in this dynamic, they felt bamboozled. And I thought that was just such a good term because the relationship gets really confusing and messy and it's really hard to know which way is up. We really stop trusting our own realities, which is a result of the gaslighting. And we begin feeling really on edge. We have trouble trusting other people and it becomes such a norm it's like a frog in hot water, you know, that's, it starts so gradually that you forget what it feels like to be yourself. Like, who am I anymore? And, and to feel relaxed and, um, you can feel a bit lost. So I hope that you find yourself a bit over the next few episodes, um, and, and, and really can, can start to move back in the direction of some inner peace with yourself and, um, and feel a little less crazy in it all. So let's dive in. That was a big intro, but it was necessary. So why did this happen to me? Is it really that bad? How do I know I'm not the one being unreasonable? 
I want to talk about what it's like being in this relationship with this kind of person, um, because it starts out fun often. It starts out feeling really good. And then it takes a really quick and, and sometimes sudden, sometimes not so sudden turn. Um, but because it starts out where you are an extension of their dysfunctional mindset, which is to idealize themselves, um, what does that mean for you? They idealize you. They idealize your love. They idealize your work. They idealize your relationship with one another. So they put you two as a couple on a pedestal. And again, whether you're an intimate couple, whether it's a parent child, whether it is a friend, you know, they're like, ah, you're the best friend I've ever had in my entire life. We just connect so well. Sometimes it's a boss and an employee, but you were put up on this pedestal. And at first it feels so good to be up there with them. It feels so good. It is like, I would say it's like, you know, being on one side of the moon when the sun's shining on it, it's just the sun is shining on you and it's warm and it just feels so good. It often sounds like we have something special. Our chemistry is incredible. I've never been with someone like you. I just can't believe I found you. You're my person. It's too good to be true. Um, a lot of serendipity, a lot of romance, a lot of idealization, a lot of that romantic comedy that we love. And you know what is especially tricky about this is some relatively, you know, there's no knight in shining armor, but I would say some relatively healthy relationships can start very similarly. Everybody goes through a bit of a honeymoon. Everybody goes through a little bit of a honeymoon. That is a, a normal part of the process. And so what is really tricky about this particular dynamic is that there are elements of it that actually feel pretty normal at the beginning, and it's okay for them to feel normal. So what some people will do, again, to take this little bit of information out of context is they will say, oh my God, I just got into the re this relationship again and it feels so perfect. So I just, this must be another, you know, this must be bad news already. And, and they're already, I don't want you to do that. Obviously we want to remain more grounded when entering new relationships. And that's a podcast for another day, but we've got to acknowledge that it can start out feeling really good. And that's why it's really tricky because we want to keep it feeling that way. Even from a parent child dynamic, it can be comparing you to another sibling and idealizing you. Like you remind me of myself when I was at your age, things like that. So um, yeah, it's just really tricky and sometimes not very quickly. Um, sometimes it's a very sudden experience, but that first shoe will drop and suddenly you may see a different side of them. Instinctively, in my experience, it feels very scary and confusing and overwhelming at first, but again, we want to preserve that idealization. It's very human tendency to minimize that shoe dropping, that upset, because everything else has been so good so far. It feels like it must be an exception to the rule, right? So those early experiences of really seeing maybe their control or their rage come out in this really, you know, huge, you know, huge kind of nasty way, seeing these less shiny parts of them, 
we want them to be overshadowed. We want them to be idealized by that prior version of our really of the relationship. So um, it can be shocking though. Our instincts are like, whoa, that was, that was a little crazy. But then our tendency is to want to kind of protect that early version. And so this is how we get swept up into these dynamics really quickly. The not so good moments are often covered up by the extreme alternatives. And then in my experience, again, not always the situation. It's very nuanced based on individual dynamics. And there are so many different ways in which this happens. So it's really hard, again, to make these blanket statements. But usually being upset, a big rage, um, a big kind of control-seeking kind of Diet, you know, interaction that catches you off guard, this less shiny version of them, they're going to come back with a huge gesture of loving behavior, fun vacation, a weekend away, maybe a big bonus from your boss, or them showcasing how great your work has been in front of other employees. There's going to be maybe a parent does a huge favor for you that you've needed help with. So there's going to be this big gesture that kind of wraps that kind of crappy situation in this nice little package. It's like, no, but they here, we're back to normal. We're back to things being really good again. It can be very confusing. So right away, your body has a hard time deciding if you're safe with this person because it's getting such mixed signals, but it wants to lean towards, oh, that was just, that was just an exception to the rule. So uh, in training, to be said as a therapist, one red flag that therapists are trained to assess, to pick up on when working with people who have some of these personality traits and character disturbances is to really, really listen to how we feel. And I'll tell you, it took me, it took me a long time. <laughs> it took me a long time with all the training and to break through my own codependency. It is really to listen to how we feel about ourselves when we leave the room after spending time with a person like this, when we work with someone who's codependent, we often feel like the best therapist ever because codependents boost our egos. They allow us to be directive and often therapists can overstep our boundaries with codependents because they'll let us, which by the way, this is not healthy. This is not healthy at all. I'm just telling you, this is something that happens with us because we love working with codependents. We can solve all, all their problems and, and we are the knight in shining armor for them. And so I will tell you that is one thing I've definitely had to break through as a, as, as a therapist myself is going in and trying to save a bunch of people. I cannot save anybody. But the same but opposite goes for working with people who have a lot of these character disturbances and these toxic personality traits. We can leave the room feeling like, wow, they are so smart and so put together and gosh, all these poor, I'm going to go full sorry for them. They're going through all this horrible stuff and all these horrible people have done all these horrible things to them. And, oh man, you know, they're, they are just such victims in their life, but wow, they are so cool and so ambitious and so intelligent and pulled together. And oftentimes the kicker is they're so likable. They're so likable. But if I were to really check in with how I feel I feel like crap about myself. When I leave these sessions, if I were to check in with how I feel, 
it's often hard to put a finger on exactly what they did to make us feel so, so cruddy um, because it can be very, very sneaky. But there are these, this, these feelings that were inadequate. I'm inadequate. I'm not doing enough for them. I didn't answer them quickly enough. They will throw in little subtle criticisms of our therapy or just questioning our credentials. There are little ways for them to create this dynamic in the room where they're still in control and feel powerful and to make us feel inadequate and, you know, not quite in a position of being able to support them. And this, uh, one of the biggest red flags for me uh, when I'd be in therapy with someone who was more on that side of being character disturbed is this feeling of being really confused when I'm interacting with them because they're overtly nice. They're really nice, but there was something really icky about that interaction with them. And uh, so that's something that, that it's, it's tricky when you're entering these relationships, because again, on the outside, it's really hard to put your finger on what is happening in this dynamic that makes me feel uh, less than, and like, I have to work hard to earn this person's approval because some of the, some of the traits of, of someone like, excuse me, uh, some of the traits of someone like this is they need to see themselves as above and better than ordinary people. They strongly, strongly dislike the idea of being considered average and ordinary. And that's often one of the, the little tests they'll throw in there is, you know, if I were to say, you know, you're just, just to normalize your experience. I just, you're an ordinary person. It's not a big deal. And if there's this adverse reaction to being considered ordinary or average, um, there's some stuff going on in there. Um, their self-esteem is being enhanced by this idealized value that they assign to others, which means they're likely to insist on having the top doctor, the top lawyer, the top hairdresser. I have the best instructor and want to be affiliated only with the best institutions. And so I have to clarify, there is a difference between ambitious and ego-driven personality traits. Ambitious people have insight and they are willing to earn opportunities. Narcissists and those who are sharing some of the personality traits believe they inherently deserve these things without actually earning them. Ambition comes from confidence and aspirations. Narcissism and these ego-driven uh, ego, ego-driven agendas, I'll put it that way, are really stemming from insecurity and overcompensation. So that's that's the difference. We got to clarify. Ambition is not bad, <laughs> but you know that's a wonderful thing. But you can really tell the difference um, based on what that what it's stemming from. And they may be someone who expects to be catered to and are just sometimes even puzzled or even worse, furious in my experience when uh, this isn't happening for them, that someone isn't um, making this huge accommodation for them. This is the person at the post office who jumps in front of a whole line of other people just because they have a quick question, you know, and ends up getting their needs met no matter how, you know, what the cost is to everyone else around them. So they lack this sensitivity to the wants and needs of others and consider themselves a little bit above everyone else, um, or maybe a lot above everyone else. There's a lot of overtly and covertly critical behavior coming out. They leave you feeling, even if it isn't always obvious, feeling stupid or unwanted and significant, even in subtle ways. Sometimes it's simply just, just not, not giving 
you know, nonverbal cues that you're speaking, not even acknowledging that you said something, you know, where if you said something to someone and they say, oh yeah, I hear you there. They just don't even acknowledge that you spoke. So it can be in really subtle ways that if called out, again, they can gaslight you on it. They can be like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. I was in thought. And again, it's the context. It's how often this type of behavior is happening because if someone does that every once in a while, no big deal. It happens. But it's this is something that is a regular occurrence um and it's very specifically happening uh when you're saying things that they they don't like and they don't want to hear about they can be really charming really charming but especially when they want something so when they're unhappy with your behavior towards them you feel like the center of the universe and you feel so good and they make you to feel so good but when you are when they're not happy with something you've done you get this sense that you don't mean very much to them. And again, this switches on and off at a moment's notice. It can be extremely confusing and just leave you again, feeling bamboozled and just very confused about where you stand in relation to being accepted and, and supported by them. And uh, there's someone who doesn't take personal responsibility for their actions. There's a lot of projecting blame if not on you, on someone else. And so when problems come up between you, it always somehow ends up being your fault or again, someone else's fault. This might feel logical at times. And so what's tricky is sometimes we'll start to adopt this reasoning. We'll buy into this reasoning. However, the discernment is again around how often this is the case. This lack of taking personal responsibility for problems is a regular regular occurrence that's very difficult for them to say, oh man, you know, that was on me this time. And they seem to play by a different set of moral and ethical rules and often minimize the hurt that they cause on other people. So it leaves you feeling hurt and hopeless in fixing these problems because you're not allowed to hold them accountable for anything um, or for very little. They refuse to take responsibility for many things. If you do get an apology, it's usually empty or simply with the agenda of placating you so that you can move on and they don't want to dwell on it for very long. And they're annoyed with how long you're holding a grudge. Um, they don't have a lot of space for you having been upset about something that happened. And if anything, in my experience, there can be anger projected anytime you express still being hurt or upset about something. They're annoyed and frustrated that you're not just getting over it. If you've ever heard that, or why, why can't you just get over it? Why are you still holding a grudge? Well, the truth is your body's letting you know something hasn't been resolved here. Actually, it hasn't been resolved yet. I don't feel safe yet. And so this also gets applied sometimes when it's not directed at you yet, you can see it with others as well. Um, they don't feel sorry for anyone. They struggle with or entirely lack empathy. So it doesn't matter if it's you or someone starving in a third world nation, they don't seem to care unless it directly impacts them. They don't want to hear about it. They're annoyed that you're bringing it up. This would happen a lot in couple relationships where the spouse slowly became more and more and more and more silent because anytime they would bring up work or, oh, you wouldn't believe what happened to, with our neighbor Susie or blah, 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 and whichever, their spouse would have such an adverse kind of negative, kind of passive, but negative reaction to, oh, you're always involved in 
everyone else's business or it would be some kind of so they just quit talking about their life they slowly quit talking about themselves and their life and anything that was happening in their life at all because if it didn't directly impact their partner um it would usually result in some kind of argument or fight or negative dynamic between the two of them that's one way that people become very silent in and uh and shut down in these dynamics this kind of personality can also become very envious. So seeing you succeed doesn't do much for them. If you get this ongoing sense that they're not happy when you succeed, this is a huge red flag. They do not care that much unless it directly impacts them. And if you do succeed and it impacts them, they might even take credit for it. So there's a lot of, of this dynamic where unless it's directly related to them or they can take credit for it, they're not excited for you. And that is a huge red flag because as a social species, we naturally want to see people win. This is why so many people follow sports and they follow all these different arts to see someone else do something really phenomenal and great. It also makes us feel good um, as a social species. So when that's missing, that sense of shared experience, shared joy, um, something's really deeply wrong. And, um, another big trait is of course, they're always the victim. You can never be, you are constantly feeling sorry for them and feeling badly that you were so hard on them or that they're going through all this stuff, but they are always the victim. And, oh, we got a lot of cars out there. And, um, the attention is on them at all times, both over and covert ways. So it leaves you feeling ultimately just extremely unseen, both by them and by others when you're in their presence. The attention has to be on them. In many dynamics, I've even heard clients remark that when the attention was on them, it resulted in a major blow up later from their partner or from their boss or so that there was some later, they were so angry. Oh, everything was about you tonight. You know, there was a very adverse reaction again later uh, in private claiming that that person was, you know, eliciting too much attention and, you know, and, and made to feel really, really badly for usually getting, a, you know, a very deserving amount of attention and accolades or whatever. And so, yeah, it can, it can be, this can be a major point of contention in this dynamic because there's that element of competitiveness always happening and need for that, need for all of that, that attention. Um, again, obviously these are highly insecure people. And so what you'll often find is that they only surround themselves with people that at least they perceive as assets. You know, they want to be uh, they want to be there beside the celebrity and the person who's big and has the big name, or these people are obviously highly insecure. And so, as you can imagine, they are going to surround themselves with people who they perceive as assets or weaker than them. Um, people who are easily e manipulated, um, or people who are highly sensitive. Uh, so these are people who are going to, you know, be really flexible and make them the center of attention and not make, you know, either make them look better. These are going to be people who uh, are celebrities or as someone who's really wealthy, someone who has brilliant ideas to make them look better 
and put them up on that pedestal beside them, or they're going to surround themselves with people who, um, you know, are, are cheap and will follow them around and meet their needs. And so, um, these are people who will demean and dismiss people who they feel are less than them. And, uh, even if you have some of the most brilliant ideas, they'll find holes, um, as in this dynamic with them, they need to keep you really small. And so it feels, it feels awful to me in this kind of relationship. Like I mentioned before, um, if you don't know this term, look it up, but they will gaslight you a lot. They will say one thing and turn it around and deny and turn around and deny it later. Sometimes it's just planting little seeds in the form of suggestions or passing thoughts about who you are. So sometimes it can be really sneaky. Um, it's a little joke here and there when you're around friends, like she's, you know, she's kind of shy. Like, but what are you talking about? I'm not shy at all. But it's a lot of these different forms of grooming that begin to kind of fester and 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 seep into your identity and your your self reflection. And so you begin to start to um, adopt some of these these traits and these ideas about yourself that they are grooming you to believe because there's so much gaslighting. It really takes a toll on your self esteem. And you can start to feel really crazy and exasperated, like you're losing your mind when you are constantly being forced to question your own reality, question your own judgment. I remember someone that I knew, oh, it, it would just be so ridiculous. I, I could say that the, it's like, oh my gosh, we just saw the most beautiful sunset tonight. And she'd be like, what are you talking about? The sun, you know, it wasn't that pretty, you know, there's, it could be anything, but it was constant. Um, minimizing, demeaning, gaslighting my experience in front of other people and even to me, just us together, hoping that I would adopt this new reality that she's decided to create. And it's insidious. It's extremely insidious and and really takes a toll on our sense of reality and our self-esteem over time. And so we've got to acknowledge these nuances. And this is arguably one of the biggest red flags that you're in an extremely unhealthy relationship is the fact that they don't know how to actually develop a secure attachment. So like I said at the beginning, I'm going to review it again. When you are with this person, you feel this constant sense of emptiness or loneliness. Um, it, 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 really at the beginning that honeymoon takes place. But when, when I've worked with individuals and in my own experience, being in a dynamic for long periods of time, this is really the state of being that begins to take over is this sense of loneliness and emptiness of isolation, regardless of how much time you spend together or the experiences you've shared. It's this closeness and intimacy, um, that is lacking which you feel like you can never quite get to with them. You just can't quite reach them. It's like there's this protective layer you can't quite penetrate when you're working with this personality. So it leaves you feeling extremely alone, extremely misunderstood, emotionally abandoned in both your own problems, but even isolated and empathizing with someone else's problems. Um, it can even become physically isolating when 
you're discouraged from spending time with other people and slowly you start losing friendships or just not spending time with people that you used to see on a regular basis, but especially being able to even talk with them about things that are going on in your life. So it just, you become extremely isolated in these dynamics. You might find yourself explaining yourself and asking, does that make sense? And their typical response is probably going to be no and telling you why your reasoning is ridiculous versus someone who can assertively say, I disagree with you, but you know, and I see it from this perspective, but I understand where you're coming from. Someone who can you know, empathize with you still, even if they're in disagreement with you. This is someone uh, who's going to give you very little validation and and, and it's often in covert ways um, and also very reasonable ways. But this is to create this sense that you cannot trust your reality and and you begin to just feel so alone in it. So um, Dr. Romani Durasala, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, Romani Durasala, talks about uh, a relationship with a narcissist, which is her specialization, is in essence being in a relationship with someone who will never listen to you or hear you. You can be as precise in your communication as a robot, and it will never be heard, nor will it matter. And this just rings so true um, with me because the reality is no matter what you say, um, If it doesn't meet their agenda, they're not interested. And this makes it extremely, extremely complicated and hurtful to be in this kind of dynamic. So how do you know it's not you? (laughs) How do I know it's not me? Am I the toxic one? I've acted out. I've gotten mad. I've yelled. I've been passive aggressive. I get this question a lot. Many times throughout these episodes, you're likely going to think, you know, I, I can name instances in which I've been unreasonable, where I've lost my shit, where I've, um, you know, acted in ways that are hard to talk about and are really embarrassing. And I've been physical. I've gotten physically aggressive. I screamed at my kids. I, I cried and cried and cried in the bathroom for hours, like a crazy person. Like I, I felt insane. And I get this so much. Now, does this not mean that you're the problem? Well, you have a lot to work on. (laughs) You still have a lot to work on because you're still in this dynamic. But just the fact that you're asking that tells me no. No, you are not the person with the character disturbances. Um, Again, you have a lot to work on. We can get into that in other episodes. But for the sake of today's conversation, we are focusing on personalities of people who do not self-reflect. These are people who do not care how they're impacting others. These are people who are not checking their own behavior and wondering, oh, was that too much? They aren't thinking about that. And so for you to even ask yourself that question, if you're asking yourself that question, then hmm, no, you're not character disturbed because you are self-reflective. But I want to clarify the reason I say covert aggressions versus defenses. Because these behaviors push us to our most extreme selves in order to sustain our our sanity. And this is why we start to lose our sanity. It's the gaslighting that does this to us. In the therapy world, we talk a lot about defense mechanisms. Defense mechanisms, according to Anna Freud, are these unconscious resources used by the ego to decrease internal stress. We will devise these unconscious mechanisms to decrease conflict within ourselves. When we've studied the motives 
and underlying root causes of the more insidious personality traits and behaviors that we're talking about in this podcast series, we have learned that these behaviors are not in fact defensive in their root at all. And I think this is a very important thing. I want you to hear me on this. This is a huge misunderstanding that many therapists um, even have that can really hurt people coming into therapy, trying to navigate relationships with someone who possess these traits. Oh my gosh, especially in couples sessions. I've heard it all the time and I just, oh, I just want to cringe because it assumes that this person is feeling defensive when actually they're being offensive. They are being quite offensive. They are not protecting their ego because their ego doesn't feel threatened. That's not the problem. They are acting out of a desire to get their agenda met at whatever cost. And this is how they've learned to navigate the world. And again, this is a nuance that matters, but, um, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really impact how we respond, how people treat us is ultimately what matters. However, I want to be clear when George Simon, uh, again, one of the top specialists in the field of personality disorders and what we call character disturbances named the behaviors, covert aggressions. He did so purposefully. They are aggressive actions that are very much on the offensive. He wanted to be sure that everyone understands these are not defensive mechanisms. They are offensive tactics to control your behavior covertly. So we'll get into more of that in the next episode um, of this series. I'm going to get into all the details. We're going to name a bunch of different types of covert aggressions, how they show up. And you're going to be like, oh, I've seen that. And it feels so good to name it to name it. Um, We have to really be able to name it and identify it to be able to say, hmm, that's what was happening. That's what was happening. And I remember just feeling this breath of fresh air, excuse me, when someone was able to say, oh, this is what was happening to you. That's why you were so confused. So the better that we get at being able to name it, the the, the more protected we will, we will be able to be in, in preventing um, ourselves from accepting these, these realities and identities that this person, these toxic and disturbed personalities are projecting onto us. We don't want that. That is theirs. We want to keep it theirs. And so just like uh, John and Vanessa's, I think it was a book or podcast series. That's um, it's not me. It's you. Sometimes it's you. <laughs> Sometimes it really is them. And so we're going to talk about um, when it's them and what's happening and how you can protect yourselves um, and, and 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 identify it so that you respond differently than you might with someone who is being defensive or with someone who you might be able to be uh, able to reason with a little bit more. So. The last thing I want to note um, is about being in a relationship with this kind of disturbed personality is that there's a lot of blame shifting happening constantly. When it's not happening in real time, it's being groomed into us like little jokes, little what I call drive-by comments about you, about your character, and we can begin to internalize it. Uh, We really begin to question everything. We question our reality, our intelligence, our abilities, our self-esteem, just Oh, it just plummets. And people in relationships with covert aggressors gets put, they they just get pushed to their max. And so they end up acting out too in order to cope. And so I just hope um, that you could have a little bit of grace around who you might have had to become in this dynamic. I say it's 
uh, it's like death by a thousand pinpricks. If you said something, they'd minimize it, making a mountain out of a molehill. I was just joking. You can't take a joke, etc. So um, it just, these little instances add up and just make you feel crazy. I've worked with a man whose wife would just poke and poke, like literally would poke and poke and poke and prod and blow in his ear and walk by and pinch him and just splash water on him and like little things for hours a day just to be like, you're driving me crazy until finally he would just, oh, I mean, can you imagine just the blow up? It's like just these little forms of torture. Um, and then she would call the police and tell them her husband's angry and she's afraid for her safety and just turned it into this big dramatic thing um, where she was instigating for hours and for days before he finally was like, enough, leave me alone. It would like push her off of him. Um, he never really got more physically aggressive than that. As far as I know, that's not always the case. This was also a situation where it's a male, female, male, female reversed situation, which is very unusual, but I just have to acknowledge that prior to this meeting, this person, you've may have felt like a very different version of yourself. You may have felt a lot more independent. Um, you know, were you, this doesn't have to always be the case, but these people that we interact with are actually extremely dependent people, meaning they take to survive because they're, they're really stuck in a very immature state of, of life and living, though they wouldn't want to admit it. And to be said, many are extremely successful in some areas of their life. But I will say, typically, the dependent behaviors and the personality traits, if they work for them early on, they usually bite them in the butt at, at the end of life, towards the end of life, and things start to fall apart quickly. It might be someone who's so arrogant and they have all these businesses and they seem to be very successful and then they haven't been managing their money well. And so they hit their 60s, 70s, and everything just comes crashing down because they couldn't sustain when they weren't very reliable people. So they often find codependents who are the term codependent, they give to survive. If you're wondering what a healthy alternative is, it's interdependent. We often wear the codependent badge, like it's this shiny, shiny, shiny armor that we like to have on. Codependency is not healthy either. It's also control seeking, but interdependent is those who support one another while still holding healthy boundaries. And so that's the goal. So these personalities are more dependent and uh, you know, you're not the one when you're the one trying to express feelings that you're being dismissed, demeaned, ignored, your feelings are minimized. They don't seem often to think that there's a problem. And this is why people who are kind of under this umbrella rarely even seek therapy. I, I, I don't have a problem. It's you. You're the one with the unrealistic expectations. And so this is how we can find ourselves in these problems because we're constantly questioning, am I the one? I'm the one who's so upset all the time. I'm the one who's crying. I'm the one who's unhappy. So maybe I'm the one with the problem. Yes, you are the one with the problem. Them. <laughs> this is a problem. And often you'll find when arguing with them or discussing with them, you're the one who's trying to come to an understanding while there's their agenda is just to control your behavior or get their way on an issue. So it's very different agendas, very different intentions, and uh, they're often willing to try to win at any cost and they'll hit you with some low blows. You're willing to compromise. They're my way or the highway often. If they're not deflecting from the conflict altogether, you're the one who feels exasperated and the one who often loses your cool. 
while they stay cool, calm, and collected. I know, very ironic, but they will pick and pick and pick and pick until you blow up or you cry or that you fall apart. Um, they will shame you for being the one who falls apart. I will say there is an alternative to this. Sometimes when pushed or cornered, there's a term called brandished anger. And we'll get into that next time where this person will all of a sudden get loud and angry and blow up very dramatically. But I want to note, this is a little different from someone who's truly upset. You can tell by the context and also by how they come down from it. Someone who's truly upset may be fuming for a while and they take some time to calm down. Someone with brandished anger is using it more for shock value in that moment because they want you to get off of their backs. They want to humiliate you, make you feel small and get you to back down off of whatever they're feeling cornered in, whatever point you're making, whatever agenda you have. And so they figured out how to just overpower you in that conversation. So that's a little different, but most of the time you're the one who feels exasperated and they're calm and reasonable and you are pinned as the one who has the problem. So again, this lack of empathy, this feeling that you're just totally helpless and hopeless in resolving problems because they don't want to participate in any resolutions because that might mean they have to change something, right? So we will get into a lot more detail next episode, but I hope that gave you a little bit of a sense of feeling seen if you're in one or more of these dynamics and know that you're not alone in it and that you are seen and that it is complicated, but it is not hopeless. You can manage, you can find yourself in it, you can escape it, you can get out of it if you wanted to. And I will help you do that in, in a future episode as well. So it is time for me to bring this episode to a close. If you are experiencing any of this, please do tune into the next episode. It will be called Name It to Tame It, and I will be recording it in a few weeks. In that episode, we will be getting into more covert aggressions, forms of covert, and maybe some overt psychological abuse that can sneak into relationships and how to recognize it for what it is, aggressive attacks on our character and our humanity. There is zero room for these behaviors in healthy relationships. And I want to arm you with the, the knowledge to know when just sometimes it's not me, it's you. <laughs> when it's not you, it's them. Um, and how to set boundaries, how to protect and heal your hearts when you're confronted with the hurts and navigate this. Because we're also talking about, uh, you know, these, these quasi-violent situations, I want to make a quick note about intimate partner violence or domestic violence, being that the patterns of these dynamics include a lot of control, coldness, inconsistency, charm, manipulation. It can create a perfect storm that creates and perpetuates excuses and covers up for physical and emotional abuse as well. The relationship is based on control and the other person is getting their agenda met. And so even when actual physical violence is rare or it's hard to even denote something as physical violence because it's so subtle, the threat of it is very present. Even the forms of financial abandonment, for example, where they've left you, you'd be job, jobless or without a home or a car, um, abandoned with your children, uh, you know, left without imperative resources. So intimate partner violence shows up in more subtle ways sometimes. And, and I just want to be really, really clear. This is violence. If you are experiencing any of this, 
please do not hesitate to reach out to me or out to a domestic violence hotline for the U.S. It's 1-800-799-7233 or to get in contact with a licensed psychotherapist who can help you navigate and, and, and exit this kind of relationship. But you do not have to feel alone in it. You have every right to protect yourself and protect your children and to stand up for yourself. You are deserving and worthy of the support. And so there is no shame in being a survivor of violence. I was a martial artist. I was, I competed nationally. I am 5'8". I'm an extrovert. I'm pretty darn stubborn. <laughs> I am loud mouth. There is not anybody who would be surprised if I, you know, picked a fight to stand up for myself. But under most circumstances, I'm I'm a pretty I'm a pretty confident person, but I was in several unhealthy relationships and even physically threatened at multiple points. And you know what, guys, my initial reaction was still the codependency to back down, to placate, to adapt, to do what they wanted me to do. And in some of those circumstances, it might have actually been in my best interest to placate them. It kept me safe to do that. So I just want to say there is no shame being in these dynamics and managing it the way you are. But it is very hard admitting. It was hard for me admitting I had a hard time, even with a therapy background. And it's hard to ask for help. I get it. And not everybody is a safe person to ask help. But I want you to know there's no shame in asking for help. Getting therapy was the best thing I did for myself. I encourage you to advocate for yourself. Don't be afraid to call someone. So I will leave you all with that. We are going to have a quick intermission from this series on toxic relationship dynamics next week, and I'm going to interview a former colleague, as I mentioned, a good friend about her journey, and then we will continue with this series over a few more episodes. I am Lindsay Burke. Follow me at Lift Therapy, and I look forward to connecting with you all in my next episode. Take care. Have a great week. I hope that episode was helpful. Hey, listen, if you want to share your singlehood journey, if you've gone somewhere, come back. If you have revelations and wisdom, please share your story. It's going to help other people. Nothing makes us feel more connected than hearing other people's stories. So just send me the audio of your story and you could just record it directly from your phone and email it to theangrytherapist at gmail.com. Also, if you want our single on purpose newsletter, go to singleonpurpose.life that's singleonpurpose.life you will get tools and articles and other people's stories and also uh, zoom links to private gathers so if you want to join our community go to singleonpurpose.life thank you for listening be well we hope you tell a friend hey before you go i want to invite you to the single on purpose private community online it's off of social media, no ads, no algorithms. We got forums, we got live groups, we got webinars, and we have social hangs. We also have offline in-person hangs happening soon. So check us out. Go to singleonpurpose.life. That's singleonpurpose.life, and I will see you inside.